this morning. And any, anybody using the Bible in the chair in front of you? Okay, we're on page 1011, if you want to look it up by page number. Let's pray before we read. Thank you, Father, for this day to come worship together, praising you for your salvation, your love, and your work in our lives through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. We pray that you will open our hearts and minds to take it in and to bear fruit. Through Jesus, amen. James 1, 1 through 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Again, good to be with you this week. Had an awesome weekend uh, last weekend with our youth 
uh, up in Truckee on our youth retreat. I'll tell you a little bit more about that uh, later. Um, just an awesome, awesome weekend, and the Lord answered prayers while we were uh, while we were up there, including tons of snow. We had tons of snow. Imagine that uh, snow in the winter in California, uh, in the mountains. Something that we have not been used to these last three, four years. Uh, also, uh, Pastor Adam Talbot family had opportunity to uh, get away this weekend, so they are uh, in Monterey. Uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow night, so it's good to get away, but it's really good to be back uh, with you uh, on this Lord's Day. There are times when we read the Bible and we just don't like what it says. The problem isn't that we don't understand it, we do understand it. Uh, the, the problem is that we don't like what it says. If you're uh, older than about 10 years old, uh, you have experienced um, you, you have experienced uh, a season of suffering in your life. You've experienced depression or discouragement. Um, I've been there. Uh, you've been there. Uh, you may uh, even be there uh, today, may be there in this uh, season of life. And especially when we're in that kind of a situation, uh, we, uh, we come across uh, a sentence uh, like, uh, whoops, sorry, we got to go backwards here. We come across a sentence like this. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. We come across a sentence like this, and, uh, and we don't like it. We don't like it because the reality is that our suffering is producing misery. Our, our suffering is producing discouragement. Our, our suffering is not producing hope. Uh, maybe uh, you're... Your suffering uh, is in the form of, of, of pain. Um, maybe it's a, a physical kind of suffering. Maybe it's, uh, it, it's cancer. Maybe your suffering is, is a broken relationship, a relationship that was once beautiful and, and mutual is now something so, so different. And you're suffering. Uh, maybe you're... Um, you're just lacking sleep and you're suffering night after night and you're angry and you're irritable and you come across a sentence like this and you don't see uh, perseverance. You don't see your character growing. You don't see uh, hope. And so uh, we might think, well, this is maybe just an isolated passage of Scripture, and uh, this isn't uh, something I need to uh, really dwell on or, or, or deal with. And then we come across other passages like this, like the one Bud just read for us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete 
not lacking anything. So what I want to do today in a few minutes when we get into our, our primary passage here is look at a picture someone's life of what it looks like when you enter a, a season of suffering where you actually do like those verses, uh, that sentence in Romans 5 and this uh, verse in James 1. We're going to look at a picture of what that looks like. There aren't three easy steps to how to read those verses and have hope when we're in a season of suffering. I don't have three easy steps. The Bible doesn't have three easy steps for that, but we have a picture of what that looks like. We're going to look at that in a moment. But before we even do that, I want to say a couple things. First, what it doesn't mean when we read about rejoicing in our trials or considering them all joy. It doesn't mean that we need to fix a smile on our faces and call something bad that is happening to us good. That is not what those verses mean. God knows that we're going to suffer. He knows that we're going to have pain. And he's not wanting us to, as it were, uh, fake it until we make it. He's not wanting us to pretend as though something that's really bad is good and is joyful. That's not uh, what he's after. So the second thing I want to say before we even get to the passage, okay, if I have two points before we even get to any, any points. The, the second point is that the, the, we, we should understand that everything that happens to us happens under the sovereignty of God, under his providence, what we call, that, 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 that this isn't just random. Uh, when, when good things are happening to us and, and life is, is full of, of pleasure, it's easy to, to acknowledge his providence. But when, when we're suffering, it, it's not so easy to do that. So we have to keep in mind just his sovereignty. The uh, Heidelberg Catechism is a series of questions and answers of of biblical truth to help us. And one of the questions that is asked is, what do you understand by the providence of God? And they've put together uh, what that means from various biblical texts. I love the answer. The almighty and ever-present power of God, by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. I love that, uh, that expression there at the end, his fatherly hand. He has a fatherly hand on us, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when we don't like those verses that sentence in Romans 5, the beginning of James 1. So I, I want to pray once again together, and then we're going to get into our passage and see a picture of what this looks like. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for its clarity, even though it is often really difficult for us at times to embrace and to believe. So I ask now as we look at, at our example in, in Philippians, the life in today's passage, the life of the Apostle Paul as he's in a season of suffering and yet the gospel is advanced and he has joy 
And I pray that as we look at these verses today, just these few verses that you would change us, I ask that the Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 1, if you're uh, still in James, go ahead and flip over there. And we're going to look, as I said, at just a, a few verses today. And I'm excited to be in Philippians, my first uh, time to preach in this series since we've finished up uh, Exodus. And just an awesome, every book of the Bible is awesome, but one that has just been uh, awesomer in my uh, eyes uh, recently and in my heart. It's been really good to be reading this book and would encourage you to do that, especially a short book like Philippians. It's good to read uh, books of the Bible in one sitting, to sit down and read through uh, Philippians. I would encourage you to do that numerous times over the coming weeks and months. So today we're going to pick it up at verse 12 and just a, a couple uh, background comments. Uh, Philippi was the, the first city in Europe where the gospel went. Think of all the amazing things in church history that have happened uh, in Europe. Philippi uh, is named after um, Alexander uh, the Great's father, Philip, in modern-day Greece. First church uh, in Europe, predominantly Gentile. Uh, We learn a lot about them, and Pastor Adam has already given us kind of the founding of the church, and uh, we learn in chapter 4 that these are really generous people, financially generous people for the spreading of the gospel just a beautiful community of believers uh, in Philippi. Paul is writing from Rome. He's writing from prison. And and let's pick it up in in verse 12. Verse 12 is the introduction to this short section we're going to look at today. Let me just read that one verse. Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers, brothers meaning brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And what he means by what has happened to me is prison. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul may have recently been relocated uh, from one prison to another, awaiting trial to be closer to where the trial is going to occur. But throughout this, these few verses we're going to look at today, he refers to uh, chains several times. And, and what he's referring to here in an introductory way is what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And we're going to see in these next few verses three specific ways that the gospel has advanced. Suffering advances the gospel in three different ways. We're going to look at those. One commentator uh, writes this. He says, Paul was able to get the gospel out from inside prison walls, instead of falling into self-pity, he took every opportunity to make the gospel known. Paul really continued in prison, operating in the same way he was operating outside of prison. His mission is to make disciples. And he continued to do that. And that's part of the piece of us understanding how to deal with seasons of suffering in our own lives. Let's look at verse 13 where we see the first 
the first way that the gospel, first of three ways that the gospels advanced, verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So he's referring to this whole palace guard, to these uh, men who work in the prisons, this large number of people who are not believers. They have all come to know that Paul is in chains for Christ. Christ has rubbed off from Paul on all of the prison guard, he is saying, essentially, here. That the gospel exposure of Paul has continued into a new community that he would not have been able to impact apart from being in prison. That's quite a perspective to have from being in prison. I've uh, visited prisons, haven't been there myself. Uh, Most of us uh, haven't. Some of us have. Some of us have. Uh, We have had uh, people uh, in our fellowship who have been on the other side there, and and it is a a difficult place to be. And yet we're going to see in this verse and in the coming verses that Paul is not suffering. And part of that is because the gospel is being advanced. So, gospel exposure to those beyond you. Suffering advances the gospel in three ways. Again, I can't give you easy steps on how to have joy in the midst of your season of suffering, and our suffering is going to look different than Paul. Most of us aren't going to be persecuted or put in jail or beheaded for our faith, but we are going to endure various kinds of suffering. And one of the things we need to have in mind is that gospel exposure should be going out into that realm of of interaction that we may have with people as we are suffering, whatever our suffering is. So this brings a question to mind. To what degree are you exposing others to the gospel now or when you're not suffering? To what degree... Is your life exposing other people, those outside the church, those outside of Christ, unbelievers? To what degree is your life exposing unbelievers to the gospel? Many of us, if we're honest, uh, we might say zero. We might say zero if we're honest. And I don't want to beat you up over it, but that has to change. That has to change. Um, The reality is that our church and evangelical churches across America, we are very good at talking about the importance of evangelism and never experiencing it. So that has to change. And I, again, I can't give you five easy steps. We're all, this is where preaching is hard. We're all different. We all need, you all need to hear different things. And so that's why I always pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work. Why, is, why am I not exposing? Why is the gospel not rubbing off? Why am I not sharing it verbally? But maybe I'm not even sharing it verbally. People don't even know. The whole palace guard is knowing that Paul is in Christ. And the gospel is being advanced. 
So we have to have change. Uh, All of us, we have things that rub off of us onto others. I'm thinking, and I'm starting to smile, I'm thinking of a neighbor that we had uh, when we lived in Cool. And our neighbor was incapable of having a conversation that did not involve her horses. She could not have a conversation that didn't involve her horses. And I like horses. Some of you have horses. This isn't an anti-horse story. I like horses. But she came to mind as I'm, as I'm reading this this week, as I'm praying, as, as I'm thinking about this, she, she came to my mind. In part, I have to tell you about this one, one conversation. We had many about her horses. I'm not good with names, or I could tell you their names and their birth dates and the various uh, problems that they had and the relationships between the two of them. And when one goes on a ride and the other one stays, what happens? I, I could tell you all those things. But one day, something uh, really bad had happened in our lives. And uh, I'm driving up our little country road, little gravel road, and in my little Honda Civic, and I'm driving, you know, 10 miles an hour, and she's coming down the road on her horse. And I'm going real slow, and I stop, and I'll, I'll never forget this conversation, because when you're a tall man in a Honda Civic, and you're trying to talk to a, a woman on her horse right outside your window, it is a very uncomfortable conversation. And so I'm sitting there having this conversation with her, something like this, and I told her about what we had, had just gone through. And, and she just, you know, didn't even hear what I said and just started telling me horse stories and started telling me about uh, her horse. And so I'm sharing this because something in us is going to rub off on others. And it should be the Lord Jesus the greatest love of our lives. That's what should rub off. There's going to be other things. It's okay if horses, if mountain biking, if other things rub off. But the main thing that if you rub up against me or up against you, the main thing that should come out is Jesus. Another uh, better story uh, from, uh, from our time when we lived in Cool. Uh, one of the women in our congregation was near the end of a season of suffering. She, uh, she had cancer, and I'll tell you her name. She's with the Lord now. Some of you may know her, may not. Her name's Vela, and Vela was near the end of her, uh, her time on earth. And I'm going to make kind of probably, perhaps, you never know. I've had this happen before. You think it's going to be your last visit, and they're around for a year, right? But I'm going to visit her, uh, and, and I think this could be my last visit to Vela, And I'm kind of happy because she's gone home. And it's very uncommon for people to die at home. It's often in ICUs or care facilities and whatnot. She's at home. So I'm I'm kind of praying and and just getting ready for for this. And I'm I'm in a pretty serious and somber mood, you might imagine. I've done this before, but I'm, you can imagine. This is is a, a serious, serious time. So I turn, uh, she lives in Greenwood, and I turn off, her, uh, turn off the road, and I'm driving down the little driveway to her house. And I'm pulling up to her house, and, and this is the middle of the week, like lunchtime. And there is, there are guys barbecuing out in her lawn. There are, the grandkids are running around all over the place. There must have been 25 people 
outside of her house, you know? And this is not the normal setting. I wish it were, but this is not the normal setting for end of life. It takes me like 30 minutes to get to her in her bedroom. She's in bed near death. uh, As I talk to all the people as I get there, this is not, you know, an ICU is kind of normal. A care facility is normal. Barbecue, kids playing, Frisbees, that's not normal. So I finally get to uh, Tavella and uh, this cancer, this, 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 uh, this very, uh, this season that you don't just put a smile on, tons of suffering, tons of misery, a season of adversity. And I finally get to Vela and she's like, isn't this awesome? <laughs> I'm going to be with the Lord. I'm not sure when. She did go to be with the Lord just a couple days later. And everybody was able to come, uh, family from all over the place to come and celebrate her home going. And because of her love for Jesus, Jesus is rubbing off on tons of unbelieving family members who are outside throwing the Frisbee because she has told them what the gospel is and and where she's going, and she's got a smile on her face in, in bed as I finally get to her. So gospel exposure to those beyond us is what Paul's experiencing. It's what Vela experienced. I mean, it rubbed off on me. You know, I'm going there thinking, how am I going to pray? What am I, scripture am I going to read? How am I going to bless her? And I'm just like, you know, I come home. I'm like, all right, honey, uh, the student of being a pastor, let me tell you what happened today. Um, the Lord uh, used Vela uh, in my life and in the life of those out in her uh, home much more than the Lord used me in her own life. So, how is the gospel advanced? Um, It's advanced by gospel exposure to those beyond you, even in a season of suffering. Let's look at verse 14. Paul's in prison, season of suffering. He says in verse 14, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So verse 13 are those unbelievers, the palace guard are impacted by the gospel being advanced and rubbing up against Paul. In verse 14, it's believers. I believe the context here favors believers in Rome. He's referring to Christians outside the prison walls where he is, and they have been emboldened to preach and speak the gospel more fearlessly because of Paul's joy, because of his situation while he is in prison. Say something about the wording here in verse 14. I'm reading from the NIV, uh, it's, and it says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged. And that translation follows the word order literally in the Greek. But in the Greek in the Greek language, we can take phrases like in the Lord, just two words in Greek, in kurie, and we can put that little phrase anywhere in the sentence. And so you have to kind of do some work to figure out what it's modifying. And I don't think it's, it sounds in the NIV like most of the brothers in the Lord. This isn't a big difference, but I think the way that ESV has it here is better. ESV has having become confident in the Lord. It moves that little phrase, those little two words, in kurio, uh, t- to the end of that, that verbal expression, having become confident. How does Paul have 
confidence. How have they been encouraged to speak boldly? Those believers outside the prison walls. It has happened because they are in the Lord. This is where our strength comes from. Again, there aren't five easy steps to do this. Because of his relationship with Christ, because of his union in the Lord, he's able to live this way in the midst of adversity and suffering. This is a major theme. This this theme of in the Lord or in Christ or in him in the book of Philippians. So point number two, verse 12 is an introduction. Three ways the gospel is advanced. Number one, gospel exposure to those beyond you. Number two, fellow believers speak the word of God fearlessly. This is a picture of what suffering looks like when we are in Christ. So one of the main things I'm trying to say today, because what this text is trying to say today, is Paul was able to do this not because he learned these three steps, but because he was in union with Jesus Christ. And this is a major theme in Philippians. We've looked at verse 14. We see this nine times. And if I expanded it to in Christ and in him, there would be many more in Philippians. But just looking at this phrase, in curio, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. 2.29, welcome him in the Lord with great joy. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. 4.1, therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord. This is how it's done. I plead with Eudea and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. This is how Christian brothers and sisters who disagree come together. It's in the Lord. Through his strength, by his power, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord. 4.10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. So this happens in the Lord. We get strength in our suffering through the Lord. It doesn't mean jail's great. It doesn't mean cancer's good. It doesn't mean that we don't have sadness and tears for these things. But God wants to use us in the midst of seasons of suffering. Uh, two weeks ago, about two weeks ago, brain doesn't work too well with sequence, sometime between like seven and 20 days ago, um, we uh, got an email from my sister-in-law, lives in Southern California. My kids know her as Aunt Laura. And it was a bad email. It was an email that she'd been diagnosed uh, with cancer. She's our age. She's young just a young whippersnapper. Uh, and uh, we get this email, and, uh, and it was tough news, especially on my daughter, Gracie, uh, because not too long ago, um, we watched cancer take uh, my wife's mother out. And uh, so Gracie gets this news in the shadow of Grandma Janet dying, that Aunt Laura has cancer. And so my wife and I both have several um, conversations and, and emails and, and times of prayer with Laura on the phone, and, and she's just she's just suffering beautifully with suffering emotionally. She doesn't have any physical suffering at this point, and but she's suffering emotionally and uh, in Christ. And Michelle told Laura about Gracie, how she has been really distraught with this news. And so Laura sends a a note to Gracie, and I asked Laura if I could share it with you uh, today. Let me read to you what this believing 
Aunt Laura, this Aunt Laura who is in Christ, writes to Gracie, I can tell you when this was, February 25th, 1.43 p.m. and 36 seconds. So she sends this to to Gracie. Dear Gracie, thank you so much for praying for me. Knowing that you are praying for me makes me feel very loved. Your prayers also make Jesus very happy because they come from all the love in your heart. Even though I have cancer, I know that God is taking good care of me. It's hard to understand why we get sick, but God understands everything because he sees everything and knows everything. Sometimes God chooses to allow sickness because it will help us and others to learn to trust him. God is asking me to trust him no matter what. I do trust him, and I know that no matter what happens to me, he will love me and take care of me. I met with my doctor today. She said my cancer is very small. She goes on with some details about this cancer. And she concludes the the letter this way. If you are feeling frightened for me, ask God to help you to trust in his goodness and to fill you with peace. I am so blessed to have such a precious niece. I love you, Aunt Laura. P.S. I'm sending you some pictures of Nuki, uh, their dog. So we have here a believing Aunt Laura who's got this terrible news that has rocked her world. And she is reaching out to her little niece in Christ so that she would be more emboldened to live out her faith and to trust God. This is what suffering and gospel advancement looks like. It is something that is available to Paul in prison, and it is something that is available to you and to me in your season of suffering if we are in union with Christ and we love him. Now, Laura is someone, before this happened, that if you spend time around Laura, Jesus is going to rub off on you. And so it has just continued in this season. Thankful for Aunt Laura's emails to help disciple uh, my daughter. So that's, that's verse 14. This is a picture that God is giving us of the Apostle Paul and how to suffer and advance the gospel. Let's look at this last section, verses 15 through 18. And we'll be done uh, after we look at these few verses, 15 through 18. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here, put here in prison, for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So what's going on here is in Rome, people have been emboldened to preach the gospel. And some of these folks who are emboldened to preach the gospel because Paul's in prison don't like Paul. They don't like him. You ever met people who don't like pastor so-and-so or don't like this guy? Spend lots of energy on that dislike? 
That's what we've got going on here. Oh, he's in prison. Yeah, well, well let's take up the gospel and we'll get him by, by taking this. You know, we don't, I don't, we, we, we're not told why they don't like him. You know, people, if you read the commentaries, there's all kinds of guesses. They're all guesses. We don't know. Uh, one of the guesses is he was not an eloquent speaker. He didn't uh, do things in, in the public speaking realm the way things were to be done in those days. We, we don't know. But they don't like him. So you're in prison. Some of your people, as it were, as, as a church leader, are outside who really are against you. And they're using this situation to preach the gospel, to get back at you. But Paul, I, I, I love this sentence, verse 18. But what does it matter? He doesn't care. He's not riled up. You know, how riled up do we get? And none of us have been in prison and had this exact scenario, so we have to draw bigger circles to apply God's word to our lives. How upset do we get when other Christians are upset with us and we get into a tizzy and can't even function because of whatever conflict is going on. We, we, we see this in our, in our churches a lot. Paul, it, it, you know, uh, the uh, MC Hammer song comes to mind, Can't Touch This. You guys remember that? <laughs> some of you know what I'm talking about. Some, some of you know what I'm talking about. Now, forget about the content of that song, but Paul's basically saying, you can't touch this. I'm not going to get upset by these guys. They're preaching the gospel. I don't care that they don't like me. I don't care. I'm I'm not going to join in a fight and bring disunity to God's church. You you can't touch this, Paul's saying, in his own words. And because of this, I rejoice, he says. They're preaching. They're not preaching the false gospel. They're preaching the true gospel. The issue is they don't like Paul. Paul says, I don't care that they don't like me. Some of them are liking me. I'm glad for that. And some of them don't. I don't really care as long as the gospel is going forth. So we have a picture here of what it's like. Of what it's like to suffer well. We don't have this exact kind of suffering, but we've got other kinds of suffering that comes our way. And we need to remember that if we are in Christ, that we, through the power of God, can say, even in the midst of it, because of this, I rejoice. I rejoice. Probably no better way to to finish up here today than than quoting Paul in chapter 4, in verse 13, where he says, uh, I can do all things. I can endure all things. And most translations have through Christ through Christ or through him. King James has through Christ. Most other translations have through him who strengthens me. The preposition there is actually en, e epsilon nu, in. It's actually in Christ is what it says, but it doesn't really make sense in English, so we translate it through Christ. So it's that same thing that that, that we've looked at in the Lord. If If I am in Christ, I can do anything with joy and endure suffering. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the power that comes from being in Christ. That even with a cancer diagnosis that we can write letters 
to little nieces that need encouragement. That even from a prison cell, when people are out to get us by paradoxically preaching the gospel, oh, we, can, we can not be stressed out. Lord, I don't know where everyone is here today, but I'm sure there are some that are in seasons of suffering right now, and I want to pray for them especially. And my prayer for them is that they would be in Christ, that they would be in Curio, they would be in the Lord, they would be in Him. And through Him and in Him, all things are possible. We can endure whatever comes our way, the worst news, and we can endure it, and the gospel can advance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.